Amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Me and Matthew 17. And as you do, I want you to think about how there's just certain jobs, certain careers that really kind of get the short end of the publicity stick. Um, you know, you can imagine, so here's a thought experiment. Imagine what would happen. You go, you do a Google search and find the closest bookstore. I think there might be one in Tampa, the physical bookstore. And you go to like Barnes and Noble and you ask the clerk and you say, all right, I'm looking for the joy of accounting. And she really wants to be helpful. So she might say, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if we have that. Let's come. We actually have a whole section of the joy of so maybe it's there, and you go back, and you start looking, and you start pulling. All right, we have the joy of cooking. We have the joy of photography. We have the joy of knitting. But like, I don't, I'm not seeing the joy of accounting. And now that's no knock on accountants. I mean, you do wonderful, beautiful work, but why no joy? Uh, you know, to be fair, I don't think there'd be a joy of pastoring or preaching in, on the shelf either. I don't know. And so you think, all right, wh- why no joy. Or you ask a whole bunch of eight-year-olds, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what are the kind of things they're going to say? Instagram star, influencer, maybe doctor, teacher, president, fireman, astronaut. Ask my four-year-old, he say, he'll say he wants to be a dinosaur when he grows up. But there's a lot of jobs that just don't make the list. You think, all right, well, why? You know, there might not ever be a bestseller international bestseller called uh, The Life-Changing Magic of Excel Spreadsheets. But you know they're important. And maybe we're on to an untapped market. So if you're an entrepreneur in here, you think, well, wait a second, there actually could be. Uh, There could be a whole lot of people who would gladly buy The Life-Changing Magic of Excel Spreadsheets. Uh, Susan Cain, who wrote the book uh, uh, called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, had no idea that she was sitting on an international uh, bestseller. So who knows? But a lot of the topics, you know, the topics of kind of foundational things, you know, accounting you know, plumbing, electrical engineering, uh, they don't make the joy of books, but have those things go wrong and you feel it pretty quickly. So one of the things we're looking at today is we have a congregational meeting, we're breaking out some spreadsheets and graphs, but you can look in your bulletin, very minor, I mean, it's small spreadsheets, so shouldn't scare anyone away, you can look there. But we're also talking about some of those foundational things that have to be in place for any family to thrive. And what Jesus is going to do in Matthew chapter 17, so in Matthew 16, he lays out, all right, this is what it means to be a church. This is the foundation. You're built on a confession that I am the Christ, a confession about who Jesus is. This is what you believe. And then you have this commitment, this commitment that we're going to follow you. You, We will deny ourselves, we'll take up our cross, and we are committed to following you. Now the question becomes, what does that look like? What are the practical, everyday rhythms, routines, practices that have to be in place in your life so you can do that? So you can live faithfully to this commitment that you made, that you can live out this confession that you made. So the question is, all right, Jesus has promised that if you follow him, you will find life. You know, it will not, you will not gain anything if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul. But if you make a commitment to follow him, you will, you will find life. You'll save your soul. But then, all right, what does that actually mean? 
practically, day by day? What type of rhythms? What type of routines? So we're moving into chapter 17, and this whole series is going to be, all right, uh, first we get the, the house that Jesus builds his foundation. Now we're going to get the house rhythms. All right, what are the rhythms of this house supposed to be? What are you supposed to do so you can faithfully follow him? And as you look at chapter 17, what I want to do today is just you have to see the big picture and the movement and the, the important uh, movement. So chapter 17 is the transfiguration. And so the movement is that Jesus takes three of his disciples with him and they go up the mountain into God's presence and then they go down the mountain into the world to minister and serve. And that basic rhythm up into his presence, down with power to serve is the basic rhythm of his house the basic rhythm and routine of your life. And so let's think about uh, that for a few minutes this morning. Up and in, to presence, down and out with power. And what we're going to see at the very heart of his church, the very heart of his house is this idea of worship, coming into his presence. This central reality must become the central reality of your life, and it's demonstrated, that commitment's demonstrated by how you shape, how you shape your, your week. So, Think about the rhythms, routines, just quickly, you know, think, all right, well, why is this so important? Why does he want to establish this for you? And didn't you feel in 2020 how disoriented or disorienting your life became when so many of those regular rhythms and routines you were relying on were suddenly gone? Like, what did that feel like? You know, there's a lot of people who kind of pride themselves that they're really hard workers, they're very diligent, they're dedicated, and then all of a sudden everything that they rely on kind of evaporates, and now it's all up to them to do all of the things they need to do, and you, you quickly learn that you might not be as disciplined as you thought you were. You might not be as dedicated when all of the supports were t- are taken out uh, from under you. You know, one of the biggest kind of existential, personal kind of shocks that I've felt in uh, church planting, coming from an established church to one that is not, is I had no idea how often I just relied on system structures, things that were just in place, until they're not there. And then once they're not there, you realize, oh, I might not have been as critical as that thing as I was a few years ago, now that it's gone. Like you can drive over here, so you might live three or four miles away, and you think it's nothing for me to get to church in the morning in five minutes until you come and all the streets are blocked off because there's bike riders. You know, ah, it's actually going to be harder to get there than I thought because there's just basic systems and things that are gone. And so that can be a real challenge. And so what Jesus wants to do is he's going to establish this rhythm and routine for us that this is the path for how we experience his presence and live with his power in the world. So let's kind of walk through the text, pick out a couple things, uh, hear the story. And then after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now the rest of the story will summarize. They come down the mountain, and then they enter in, and Jesus comes, and his disciples, there's a big kind of kerfuffle because a man brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples, and they couldn't heal him. They had failed. And so that's how kind of the story ends. But what I want us to see this morning is think first just about that basic rhythm, basic rhythm of life. Notice what Matthew tells us in 17.1, and after six days, it's very important with this Matthew and especially John, John and Matthew, and they're giving you numbers, they're giving you them for a reason. So why? Why does he specify after six days he takes them up on to this mountain? And Matthew is, is anchoring you. He's reminding you that there's a certain rhythm. There's a weekly process. It's after six days. On the day, there was this incredible revelation where God has revealed to Peter who Jesus is, and there's a celebration. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, on you, I'm going to build my church. And then six days pass, and then the seventh day, he takes them up. It's part of the rhythm. Six days walking in the world, and the seventh day, they ascend up into his presence. You know, six days is, is often kind of the time for preparation. Six days for God to create the world, and then it culminates on day seven. Day seven is not, the Sabbath is not when the world ends. It's when you uh, move into the purpose for the world. The purpose of the world is Sabbath. The purpose is to celebrate. The purpose is to stop and look and say, this is good. Enter into the joy, the delight. Six days to prepare, one day to celebrate. And then the same with Moses. Before Moses could ascend Sinai the first time, he had, to, he had to come to the foot of the mountain. And for six days, he had to wait. And he had to wait with three assistants. Aaron, uh, Abihu, Nadab was with him. First time they could ascend up on the seventh uh, day. So, uh, kind of rhythms, how God has established rhythms. You know, six days you work, and then one day you ascend the mountain into his presence. You come into his presence, experience, and then you go down with power. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter. Now don't pass over those words too quickly. Jesus took with him Peter. You remember the last time we saw Peter? You know, the last time Jesus hit the, we have interaction is first Peter's great triumph. And then as soon as Jesus tells him how he's going to build his house, Peter says, no, far be it from you, Lord. That is not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So it's six days later after Peter's public rebuke, his, the first of his you know, kind of you know, public failures and falls. And then six days later, Jesus comes and takes him. You know, there's an ocean of mercy in that, that Peter's previous failure from the week before doesn't disqualify him. The Lord's going to come. Raise him up. I wonder what Peter thought. Did you imagine what Peter, how did it play out? You know, was, was Peter sleeping and then Jesus comes and wakes him up? He says, come on, come here. Got something I want to show you. Somewhere I want to take you. You know, if you remember G Peter's problem is that he told Jesus that Jesus needs to stop talking and listen to him. And then notice what God tells Peter and James and John. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. Listen to him. 
So they ascend the mountain and notice Jesus is there. He gets transfigured. And who's there? Moses, Elijah, Jesus, kind of the great, uh, the, the, the one representing the law, the one representing the prophets, Jesus bringing the gospel and the fulfillment and the culmination, all of those things. And then notice they're overshadowed. Peter's still speaking. This is great that we're here. Do you want us to build a tent? I love, I think it's Mark who says, he said this because he didn't know what he was saying. Uh, maybe some of you can sympathize where you say things because you don't know what you're saying. And then he's going to build the tent, and then the voice overshadows. And says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the most important reality in your life is to enter into the presence of the living God, to love the son and listen to him. The thing you need more than anything else in life is his presence that comes through his word. Listen to him. And what Jesus is going to do is going to establish this weekly rhythm where weekly you join together and you ascend the mountain into his presence so you hear his voice because it's the most important thing we need. You know, the central reality for the people of God is life in his presence, hearing his voice. And you know, well, that, that's not a new thing. In some ways, Jesus is not doing something new. You know, one of the challenges I've been thinking about is, as this new season of the life just the world's in and our church is in and we're in, is like, what word from the Lord, what place in Scripture can give us categories and framework to know how to best move forward? So I'm so excited about being in Matthew 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, because I feel like that's what Jesus is doing. He's laying out the blueprint for how he wants to build his church, and we need to just listen to him and follow. But another place that I think provides so much profound wisdom for what we need right here at this moment, and I was tempted to do a sermon series on Numbers 1 through 10. Now, that might not sound, that actually might sound worse than like the joy of accounting. But you look at, so like Exodus, Exodus is the book if you want to understand what God is doing in the world. It is a missionary manual. This is missions. This is why, you know, Pharaoh comes and says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And the Lord says, I will show you. And I will do this. This is all done so that the nations may know that I am the Lord your God. So Exodus is all about missions. Leviticus is all about worship. The whole point of Leviticus is what does it mean to come into the presence of a living God? This is what you need to do. And then in Numbers, for the first 10 chapters, he's going to have the people stop around the mountain. And he says, before you can go out into the world, into the wilderness, I have to arrange and order you. I have to give you your arrangement. I have to give you your roles and your responsibilities. I have to order you. And if you look, the way he orders them is he orders them physically to demonstrate what's true spiritually. And he arranges the whole nation in, in, a, in a square uh, around the, the tabernacle. And he puts himself at the center. He says, you cannot go into the world if I am not at your center. That's the whole point of you being my people. You go into the world with God at your center. And Jesus is doing the same thing for us. He says, you go into the world, you know, six days you have to go out into the world and you are going to need my power. And then one day you ascend into the presence to come into my presence. God at the center of your life is the most important thing. And the way you prove that, the way you experience that is through how you order and structure your life and your time. 
So we've been looking at a couple different things, you know, through in 16 and then now going in 17. So 17 is going to kind of give us that, all right, what is the most important thing, the central reality of worship and coming into his presence? But to kind of cycle back or kind of think, all right, what do you need to do individually? And then what do we need to do as a church to make that commitment a reality? What do we need to actually commit to? So, for example, Jesus builds his church. It's marked by people who confess that he's the Christ and are committed to following him. <clears throat> so what does that uh, look like? A couple things. Now we can, now we're ready for some graphs and spreadsheets. So you break those, turn, turn those and look. And three things to do right now in the life stage of our church to commit so we can move forward. What type of commitments are needed? And the first commitment is just to attend. You know, one of the most important things we need in the life of our church is to have our regular attenders regularly attend. So commit to attend. And don't minimize that. Don't minimize how absolutely vital it is for you to be just faithfully attend. And you know, this was a challenge before. You know, I wasn't quite ready coming into Orlando for just the challenge it is for people's time and priorities. There's just a unique element of living in the vacation capital of the world where people like to go and be different places. All through. There's all types of options. And one of the most important things for the people of God, if they're going to experience the power of God, is to show the world by their commitment to their time and their priorities and the places they go, this is the central reality of my life. And all of these other things can be secondary, but they are committed. So committed to attend. And this can be a challenge. It can be a challenge in whatever life stage you're in. You don't ever want to diminish how heroic it is just for some people to come. And some people just come and you say, congratulations, you made it. It's worth it because you're committing to established rhythms to show the place that Christ has in your life. And so you might be in a life stage where you just feel like, is it even worth it to pack up all these kids and all of the arguments and all of what it takes to get there? And say, yes, it's worth it. You're, you're teaching them what matters and what's central to you. And you know, one thing is we can be pulled in just so many directions. And so things can slip and then the distractions. So attend. And that's, that's more than just for you. You know, you attend also uh, for others. You know, one of the biggest challenges for, for any church plant in this area, in any area, is just to get up to a certain spot, place of critical mass. So when new people come in and they see, and you know, a crowd draws a crowd. And so when new people come and if they look and it's really sparsely attended, they'll think, well, nobody's here. So should I even come? So attend. That's important. Actually, look at our attendance numbers. You can see our average attendance as we kind of flow. We launched as Trinity in June 2018. See some of the trends there? You know, 2018, average attendance 208. 2019, average attendance 208. We like, we like to pride ourselves on being steady, consistent. Started 2020 from January through uh, the first part of March. We're averaging about 230 through then. And then when we were able, you know, from March all the way to the December, we weren't able to meet, uh, you know, here at all. And then started back up in 2021. Um, and then so this 182 is we started keeping track again uh, about April. And so that's from April uh, through 2021. So started to, to build back up. And then 2022, uh, you can see this is kind of our average for 
2022. So attendance uh, trends there. I'd right, attend. Uh, next thing. All right, what can we do to, what do we need uh, to do? Attend, but then give. You know, give. And this is something, you know, you can look and see our giving, kind of total giving, some of the trends there. Um, you know, this is something that I've never really, for a whole host of it, I've never really pushed hard. And there's a kind of a whole host of reasons of that. Some of the kind of my own sinful tendencies to be afraid and not want to ask certain things. Some of the certain uh, keen awareness that just there's lots of uncertainty. And this is something that causes tremendous amount of anxiety from. Some of it comes from a, a frustration for the way that people from the outside look at, like when I meet people kind of from the outside and we're planning a church in Lake Nona and they'll say, oh, Lake Nona, I bet y'all are just banking money. It's like, <laughs> no. Uh, and just this certain misperception about who actually lives here. Um, and so there's been a hesitancy and I never really had to uh, push that. And that's something I'm so thankful for. You can look at some of our giving trends. You know, we first uh, started uh, being able to receive funds in June, from June to uh, 2019, end of 2020, our, or beginning of 2020. You know, our basic kind of operating procedure was let's try and run lean and let's just save as much as we can so we can just see if we're going to survive. And we did that. So when COVID hit in March of 2020, uh, at that time, we had about $224,000 in the bank. And because we just, just kind of run lean, let's see if we can survive. And I am so thankful that we did because that kind of pandemic comes along and we didn't have to be super anxious about, all right, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to do uh, any of these things? And then even in 2020, we had an uptick in giving that slightly skewed that number because we had one really large, generous gift for one very specific uh, thing was given. And then actually when from March all the way to December, when we were only doing digital services, we actually had a lot of people who were joining in and watching those digital services from out uh, in the out. I was gonna say the world, not the world. Uh, it just out in the in the country, and we had quite a few people who appreciated what we were doing and started giving because uh, their church wasn't meeting and other things like that. But and then in 2021, and then you can see what's given there in 20. 22. But the reality is that if we're going to move forward, I mean, this is no secret. You know, this kind of gives us a good snapshot, right? This is what we need to survive, but we don't want to just survive. Our goal is to be an anchor church in this community for generations. So what is that going to take? What is that going to require? It's going to require giving and generosity, and it's going to require a lot of strategic wisdom. I mean, this is no surprise to anyone in this room. Things are not getting cheaper around here. So what is it actually going to look like for a church to have stability and to be able to be anchored in this community? We want to be in the community, but then just given uh, that reality. And so one of our biggest needs, and we're starting to kind of collate and bring together, we just need wise, godly people who can come together and their basic task is, all right, what does our church need to do so we can position ourselves to be able to uh, strategically kind of jump on any opportunities that are coming. So that's something you need to pray for. And even in the background, you know, every, you know, probably if you've been in church longer than two weeks, you might have some type of horror story of a capital campaign or something like that, even uh, in this area. So just, all right, what does it mean to be wise? 
to bring together the right people who can think through these things and start putting things in place so we can be who we want to be, have stability. But even in giving, something I've been convicted over the last couple weeks, months, been thinking about as it relates to the Sermon on the Mount. And I look back, and here's something I missed when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus gives you three practices to do. He says, when you fast, when you give to the poor, and when you pray. And when, I, when we first went through, I was just, all right, these are just common Jewish practices to express your piety. That's wrong. I don't think that's what he was doing at all. I think he was actually giving them the three core practices that are going to break the back of the worldly materialism that can strangle your life. I think this is actually the things you have to do if you're genuinely going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So it's, it's fasting that actually breaks the power of the lust of your eyes and your control of your body. And it's generosity and giving that's going to break the power of materialism in your life. So instead of being anxious and calling you to give because don't know where you are financially or maybe you're in over your head with credit card debt, if you are a spender and a shopper and materialism has a hold on your life, you have to give because that's how Jesus wants to break that power in your life. This is your path to freedom. And so that's why we do these things to break the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So we give, give generously. Um, I think some healthy goals for us, you know, if we could kind of settle in or even this year move into even that 440 range, that would give us a wonderful just kind of cushion so we could even bring on certain staff positions that are needed or do some uh, other things and then really start to position ourselves so we can be stable and become that anchor church. And also really be praying and thinking through, right, well, what does that mean? I really think it's exciting to think what would it look like in this community for some creative partnerships with entities here in this, is this community to bring stability. So giving. Uh, most of our giving is done online. So we normally have, or when we used to pass out the offering plate, uh, we had the offering plate. There's a box over that you can put your giving in. About 80% is, is done online. So I appreciate and thank you, everyone who's gone to set that up. There's the link there that can do that. So giving. And then the uh, third thing, the third thing we see is, is serving. You know, serving in our four core ministry teams. You know, these kind of four ministry teams on that next page of the opportunities to serve, those are kind of the four teams that are set aside to actually aid and help you, help all of us enter into the presence of the Lord each week. These are our Sunday morning teams, and they each exist in different ways to help facilitate an encounter with the, the risen Lord. So the worship audio video team, their goal each week is to lead us into his presence. You know, the, the kids, Trinity kids, you know, we want to root and ground the kids in the gospel so they become strong and stable. Actually, what God says, our, our dream would be for every one of our kids to say, this is my beloved Savior and I listen to him. I love him and I listen to him. And so that's what we want for them and our connections team is to joyfully welcome you here and get you in your place. You're comfortable and ready to be able to move in. And the ops team sets things up, tears things down. All of that in the effort to facilitate coming into his presence and in that, that encounter. So that's what they serve. And, you know, as we think about, you know, going forward. So look on these, these different teams and think, all right, how can I help? How can I not just not commit to attend, but how can I help? Um, 
And then, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be put together, many opportunities as we move forward that will be in all types of different organizational components, small group components, men's and women's ministries, digital media, print media. Uh, if you kind of what we need to know is, all right, who has the different skills and giftings and who would like to do certain things that need to be done? And then we need to uh, coordinate uh, you with those needs. So you can contact Julio and he's starting to uh, help connect you uh, to those things. So kind of in summary, think about, all right, well, where are we? Where do we need to go? What do we need to experience? We need, the point of this, of all of it, is to experience his power, enter into his presence, experience his power, or experience his presence, and then go out into the world with his power. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about what does that actually look like? What do you need? How do you go into the world uh, with uh, his power? So here, what we're going to do now is we're going to move. Uh, transition into our time of communion. But the reason why we celebrate communion every single week is because we want that tangible, physical reminder of we enter into his presence. His, his, um, his body was broken so ours can be made whole. He shed his blood so we can have access into his father's presence. See, right now, uh, Jesus only takes Peter, James, and John in our story up into his presence. But because of his death, because of his resurrection, because he's poured out his spirit, now we can take the hand of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can usher every single one of us into his presence to hear his voice. And in many ways, this is a weekly reminder of that ticket in. This is how we come in. And so on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that's shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take in remembrance of me. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your spirit. We praise you for the gift of your son, crucified, risen, reigning. We praise you for the gift of a weekly rhythm that's meant to draw us up into his presence and then send us out with his power. So I pray that you would do that. Help us to know and appreciate the importance of that. Then I pray that you would help us to live out in the world with your strength and your power. So I pray for anyone who's come in and they know they need, um, they need your presence. They need your power. They are facing things at work or facing things with their family or facing things in their, uh, with other relations that they need your presence. They need your power. They need your wisdom. They need your guidance. We thank you for giving us that good gift. This we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.